So let me just say from my family to your family, officially, Merry Christmas. All right? Yeah, Merry Christmas. We were, we were driving back from Columbia. My wife is from Irmo, South Carolina, home of the Okra Strut. Woo-woo. Um, that's actually their downtown festival, the Okra Strut, whatever. I didn't know Okras could strut, but they can, and they do there. So, but we were on our way back, and, um, and we were like, you know, what do we want to listen to in the car? And Wendy said, let's put on some Christmas music. And I was like, Seriously? We, can we do that? And she said, Thanksgiving's over. So again, let's just divide the room in half. How many of you are like, before Thanksgiving, I don't want to hear any Christmas stuff. Raise your hand. Y'all are the ones that are wrong. We love you anyway. <laughs> Noah way. Am I right? There is Noah way. So um, I am, like, we were listening to Christmas music, and they were like, this is great. And I was like, y'all, I've been listening to this since July, right? You finally caught up with the right person in the family. So it's good to have you on board. Um, we just did a series called Remember, Remember, and we did that because we know that the holiday season can be hard for people. Um, it is a bittersweet time for a lot of people. So I want to just say this to those of you who just came through Thanksgiving. If you're here today and you're like, man, I'm just not into it. I'm not into the holiday season. Life is hard. There are seasons like that. Have you noticed that? Some seasons are good and some seasons are like, oh, God, get me out. If you're in that season, I want to I start this morning reading a promise over you. I'm not going to preach it. I'm just going to read it to you. And what I love about this promise is, um, by the way, it just dawned on me. Those of you that are here for the first time, or this is your first time hearing me preach, I rarely can finish sentences. It must be hard to listen to me talk. I'm so sorry, y'all. I'm like, I get in the middle of a sentence and have another thought, and we just go in that direction. But um, do you know what a lament is? So we'll just vote this way. How many of you, raise your hand if you think lamenting is a good thing? Okay, a couple of you. How many of you were like, lamenting is awful? How many of you weren't going to answer no matter what I said because it's church and you think it's a trick, trick question? Raise your hand. Yeah. Love that. Don't you love, don't you love pastors? We're always asking questions and we're asking you to raise your hand and you're like, I think the answer is Jesus. I'm 99.9% sure it's Jesus. But I ain't raising my hand for nothing, right? Because if I raise my hand, he'll be like, Satan, you know. Anyway, the answer is lamenting is not fun, right? It's, it's called a lament for a reason. It's, nobody wakes up and goes, today I hope I can lament, right? Lamenting is awful. You know, there's a book in the Bible called Lamentations. So here's, here's what I was going to say. This, this is a thought I want to get across to you. Our God, and I love this about our God, he's so good. He's so real. I don't know if you ever struggle with whether or not God's real. He's so real that he included a book called Lamentations. Because he knew that all of us would go through times in our lives, and that's, that would be our life. What season are you in, brother? Lamenting. And it's true. And in the middle of a book on lamenting, check out this promise. Lamentations 3, verses 21 through 23. Again, I'm not preaching this, so this is just for some of you here, and then we'll move on. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. You may have a translation that says your mercies are new every morning. Now, I should preach on this because I love that verse. In my head, because we're in the south, y'all, 
right? So how many of you cooked and baked over the Thanksgiving holiday? Raise your hand. Be proud. How many of you ate what they cooked and you're still living and it was good? Okay. In my head, and I don't know how you read the Bible, but I read it with pictures. That's just how I am. When I read that verse about his mercies are new every morning, I literally see this in my mind every night when I go to bed. I think, while I'm sleeping tonight, God is in the kitchen of heaven, and he's got a big old, like, mixing bowl, and he is whipping up a fresh batch of mercy for me the next day because he knows me. <laughs> he's like, Paul's going to need a double batch tomorrow. You know, he's like whipping up a fresh batch of mercy every night. Every night while you and I sleep, he's getting mercy ready for the next day. I love that about our God. And if you're in a position, if you're in a season where this is hard for you, just know that that's your promise. His mercies never end. They are new every morning. I love, love, love that. And that's part of why we've got this series called Let It Snow. You know, our, our little hashtag, our little, I mean, our little tagline is mercy is falling this Christmas because we want you to experience the mercy of God over the holiday season. We want you to experience what we just read, that his mercy is new every morning. And, and we're praying for snow, like real snow, right? We're prepared to make our own, but we're praying for real snow. And I'm just praying that from this series forward, for the rest of your life, that every time you see snow, you would remember the mercy of God, right? Jesus had a way of taking everyday objects I mean, can you imagine being in the crowd when Jesus picked up the mustard seed? Like, let's just say you were a teenager in that crowd, and he picked up a mustard seed, and you were like, Ugh, I have to pick those up all the time. Oh, I hate mustard seeds. They're so small and insignificant. And then he was like, this is like the kingdom of God. And do you know nobody ever saw a mustard seed the same way? So lots of times in church, the pastor tries to impress the crowd. And Jesus didn't try to impress anybody. He just tried to help them see, like, he would connect heaven to, like, this common stuff on earth so that people that saw common stuff never saw it common again. And so our heart in this series is that you'll never see snow the same way, right? You'll never see it the same way again. Now, it's based out of one verse, and I'm going to spend today just helping us dissect that one verse. We're not going to get very far. It's okay. All right, I'm not here to impress. We're just going just gonna to take it a little, one step at a time. And today is, of all the, ser of all the sum Sundays in December, this is going to be your least favorite. Is that okay with y'all? All right. So you're, you're not, may not like the sermon. This is a hard one. Um, but we have to lay some foundation. Is that okay with you guys? So turn to the person next to you and say, um, it's okay if you don't like it. It's completely okay, right? It's completely okay. Let's read it. We're going to read the verse, Isaiah 1.18, um, and then we're going to start just kind of dissecting it. If you have an actual physical Bible, you're going to want to use it a lot today. If you have a Bible on your device, you're going to get a little thumb workout. That's awesome. If you just take notes, just jot down. I'll give you tons of Scripture verses to jot down. They're all going to be up on the screen. So here's, this is where our series, um, Let It Snow, comes from. Here's what, here's what God says. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. What a promise. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. Okay? So let's pray, and then we're just going to kind of go um, a word at a time and, and see what this, what this says to us. God, we ask that you would come now and take me out of the way. 
and that your word would shine through. Because we didn't come here today to hear from Paul. We've gathered here to hear from you. So, Holy Spirit, this word that we just read is alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts me to the core of who I am, and it shows me who I am. And I'm praying this morning that that would take place in the next few moments that we spend together. You would change us through your word. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, here we go. Are you ready? So, the first word is come. So let's talk about that, right? Let's talk about that first word. I love this. I love the fact that the very first word is a clear call to us in the room to do something about what's coming next. I don't know how you have related to God your whole life, but I've gone through a lot of seasons where I kind of stepped back and kind of said, well, God, do it. Right? You ever do that to God? Like, you, you do it. I'm going to step back and watch. But he didn't allow, that, allow us that option here. The very first word is a call of action to us to come to him. Now, there's a reason why. Everybody say why. You're going to hate that you asked me that question, but here we go. If you look back at the first 17 verses of this chapter, so the first 17 verses that opened the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah was a prophet, and I don't know what you think about when you think of prophets. Sometimes we picture like old, mean guys, right? So the first 17 verses sound like God is ticked. He says things like, you've left me. He says things like, away from me. Get away from me with the sound of your music. I don't know if I'll ever do this here because adults get freaked out, but I remember youth pastoring one night. And I was going to preach out of the book of Amos, which is closely related to Isaiah. And Amos also has a section that says, away from me with the sound of your worship, you know. And I didn't really give the worship band a lot of notice. We had like this packed house, like 100 kids were in the room, and it was hot and sweaty. And they were like all singing to the top of their lungs. And I was in the back, and I just suddenly went, shut up. And they shut up. And I just came walking up the aisle quoting the verse from Amos. Like, away from me with the sound of your noise and worship and sit down. You know, like, they were all freaking out, you know. That's kind of what Isaiah is doing here. He's like, get away from me with the sound of your worship because your heart's not in it. It's just words. And he starts with that. And he works through 17 verses of that. That doesn't feel good at all. And at the end of that, I don't know if you ever had a boss chew you out. You ever had a boss chew you out? When that's over, do you want to hang out with them? Not usually, right? But at the end of God's strong word, I'll say it that way, is our word come. Like everything in us wants to run away from God, right? I told you that we, you might not like this Sunday. When we start talking about hard things, we typically want to run away. But God's a God of relationship, and he knows that even in relationship, sometimes there's hard things that have to be said. So he says all the hard things, and then he says, come. And we're like, seriously? What do you mean, come? Like, you know, like, like near you? Yeah. He's like, the, he's like the person who can tell you the hard thing and then play with you, right? He wants to hang out with you. This is all about relationship. And so what we find is that this invitation to come Happens all the way through Scripture, okay? I'm going to throw a bunch of Scriptures up here. You jot them down. We'll read them. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus is talking, and he says, Come to me, 
All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. If you're here this morning and you're weary, that's a verse for you. Isaiah 55, 1. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money. Can I get some college students in the house to say amen? Right? Don't you love that? Come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. That's what it says. Don't you love that? It's all free. Like, just come. If you're thirsty and apparently broke. Just come. John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I love how this is in the Bible because what we typically do is we hear the promise like, hey, just come. We just read from Isaiah 55. If you don't have any money and you're thirsty, just come. It's all free. And we're like, sweet, I'll come on my time and my terms, you know, whenever, however I think I should come. And then Jesus drops this bomb on us. Well, hold up now. It's free, but you can't just come any old way. I'm the way. We, we can only come through Jesus, right? Philosophies don't work at this point. It's just Jesus. He made the way because he is the way. John 6, For no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. I love that we can come to Jesus because he made the first move, right? He wasn't standing at a distance. He made the first move. John chapter 5, verse 40, um, in, in the context, Jesus is talking to Pharisees. Um, how many of you, uh, don't raise your hand, I say, how many of you love reading the Bible? But if you've ever loved reading the Bible, do you know he's talking to some people in this chapter, and he has just said to them, you search the Scriptures, but you refuse to come to me to receive life. I mean, I'm telling you right now, like I love the Bible, but... W- we sometimes make learning the Bible the thing. Well, I can quote the Greek and the Hebrew, and I can tell you what this verb means, and I can say every book of the Bible, and I know how many chapters and verses there are. We, like, we know a lot of stuff, and Jesus is looking at Pharisees, and he says, but you search the Scripture. You know the Scripture, but you refuse to come to me. Information versus relationship, right? Spoiler alert, he wants both. <laughs> Okay, so we don't check our brains out when we come to Jesus. He wants us to learn about him and come to him as well. The the point I want you to get here is that you can today choose not to come. Because a whole group of men did. That group killed Jesus. I don't want to be in that group. So Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, at the very end of the Bible, right? I told you this theme of coming is all the way through the Bible. Here's what it says. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely, who desires drink freely from the water of life. Listen, we're called to come even up to the very end of the Bible. This theme is not unique just to Isaiah. This is a God theme. He is a God of invitation, right? Just come, just come, just come. Even when he tells us hard things, he's like, okay, now that we told you that, Come. And that's what's happening here in Isaiah chapter 1. Second word. He says, come, and he says, now. So there's an urgency to the call to come. He's like, don't, don't come later when you've processed and thought about it, but come now. Have you noticed that we have a tendency to put off what we don't really believe will happen? Okay, I thought I'd get you there. I thought you'd be like, yeah, I see it. 
but I'm going to prove to you, <laughs> prove to you that the tendency we have to put off what we don't believe will really happen. I think we have pictorial proof. Can we show it? There it is. Because I can guarantee you right now in this room, there are people who have seen their check engine light come on, and you've yet to take your car to a mechanic. You've probably taken your car to, your car some, to somebody who could make that light go off, but didn't fix what made the light come on, right? <laughs> some, <laughs> it's still running. <laughs> we have a tendency to put off what we don't think will really happen. So when Isaiah, when the Lord says to Isaiah, come now, our tendency is to come later because now may not be convenient. Now, I have to confess something to you. So if you haven't listened to anything yet, lean in on this part. I have to confess something about you. I'm sorry, by the way. It's like I'm on Jerry Springer or something. To confess something about it's true about my life, and um, and I don't want you to judge me, but I need to get it out there because you need to see what this principle looks like in everyday life. What does it look like to to hear something and not act on it because you don't believe it's urgent? And um, it's embarrassing to say this, but but I've been getting I've been getting notices in the mail for a little over a year now about an, an airbag recall for all three of my cars. Like, these are worded strongly. Like, they use the D word, death. Like, if you don't change out the airbag, the airbag could kill you. And I have yet to take my cars in to get the free airbag reinstallation. On all three of my cars, y'all. Now, I'm feeling some of the urgency right now because I'm telling you out loud. And Wendy's looking at me like, do what? You've been getting what? I'm feeling some urgency now, right? I mean, so much to the point. They've actually sent me letters in the mail that say things like, we haven't heard from you. If you have sold the car, let us know. So we can warn the person you sold it to that they might die. And even as I tell you, I'm thinking, what an idiot I am. Why have I not taken it in? Do you know why? I don't think it's true. Don't judge me. Some of you have gotten the same emails, the same thing in the mail. We put off what we don't believe. And when Isaiah says that God's word to us is come now, the reason we don't come now is because we don't believe we need to. We don't treat urgently what God says is urgent. And until that happens, we're not going to come to God. I, I love Revelation chapter 1. Love this. Verse 3 says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. So in our context, if I'm reading to you the scriptures, he's going to bless me because I'm reading it. But look at the next part. And he blesses all who listen to his message and obey what it says. Why do we obey? Well, because I want to get a blessing, brother. 
okay, that's cool, but I think we obey because of the last five words. For the time is near. The urgency is like, let's obey. Let's do it because there's not much time left. It's urgent. Come now. Not later when I think I might need to come or it's not as inconvenient, but come now. You're in this room this morning. You know what? You think you chose it, but God made sure you'd be here. And if you're here, his word to you is come now. Not next week. At the end of the service when an invitation is given and your heart's doing the whole like, can I do this? Thing, you know, our first thought is, if I can just get through the next five minutes, I'll get the car. I can just talk to God about it tomorrow. But he says, come now, right now. This is the moment that's urgent. And he says, the next phrase is, let's settle this. It's possible that you have a translation that says, let's reason together. Um, that's the translation that I read growing up, let's reason together. So come, let's reason together. And so because of that, what I always kind of thought this was saying was, and I love this picture of God, is that God's kind of like your grandpa here. And he's like, hey, let's just hang out and talk. Let's, just, let's, just, let's discuss what I'm saying, and let's see how it hits you in the feels. Right? Let's just see how you are. How, how are you? How are you reacting to it? Oh, you don't really like it? Let's talk through that. I, I've always seen it as kind of like this grandpa-ish, like, God, he wants to talk with us. He wants to get our input. He wants to see how we're feeling about what he's saying. But, but actually, the translation that we read this morning that says, let's settle this, is much closer to the Hebrew word. Because the Hebrew word is, is, is a legal term. And it means to decide, to judge, to prove, to convict. It's pronounced like this. Yakach. It's an impressive word. I would recommend not saying it when you have a cold and a bunch of stuff up in your throat. Because you'll be like, yeah, it's gross, isn't it? Why would I say that? I'm the pastor. What am I thinking? I was going to have you say it with me, like turn to your neighbor and go, yeah. But I thought, I could just see bad stuff happening. Like, y'all be like, oh, terrible. But the, the word is, the word means like to prove. Not to discuss, but literally bring your case. You know, figuratively in the culture when this word was used, it meant to step into the sunshine, to step into the clear. So you're bringing everything to light so that you can make a decision. Okay, so we could, we could take this first part of this verse and let's just rewrite it and, and I'll read it like this. I think you could say it this way. You could say God says, in light of all the evidence of your sinful heart, we can't move forward until we settle the issue. Come now. Let's settle this. And what is the this that we're settling with God? It's our sin, y'all. I knew. See, that's the part you're like, oh, man, he said the, he said the S word. It's our sin. It's the first 17 verses of Isaiah. And it's a, it's a gift from God that he would talk to us about it. Here's how I said it with the big idea. Without bad news, the good news would just be news. Don't prove me wrong. Just let me be right for a second. My guess is you don't remember what you saw on the news last night. 
And the reason is because, well, you're like, I didn't watch the news last night. Come on, dude. I don't have TV. What are you talking about? You, you checked on your phone. The reason you don't remember is because news cycles are 24 hours at the most, unless it's a really big story. Google actually did a, a study where they, they checked to see like, how often people search for different terms. And they said the, 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 the longest is like seven days. And that was like the Kavanaugh trials. People were really into that. And so they were like, Google it and see how to spell it and all that kind of stuff, you know. But like seven days they were searching for information about that. But typically, 24 hours at the most. And I would say most stories, not even 24 hours, right? We just hear about it and then we like, maybe 10 minutes later, couldn't even tell you what that person on the news said. Or you scrolled over to your favorite website. And you read some stuff, and then you went and did something else, and by the end of that day, you couldn't even tell, your, you couldn't tell anybody what you'd read on the news. Because news cycles don't last. What I want you to see is this. Wouldn't it be a shame if the greatest news this, this world ever received just became news? And we forgot all about it. And the reason we would have forgotten all about it is because we never saw it as good news because we don't want to talk about the bad news. But the bad news is that without Jesus, the best we can ever be, and it comes from Isaiah, the prophet who wrote these words, is a filthy rag. He says our righteousness is a filthy rag. That means the person sitting next to you, <laughs> Don't take too much glee in this, right? But on their best day, like let's just say you have a to-do list. you got 20 things on your to-do list, and they're all good. And you did all of them and a few bonus ones. On your best day, the Word of God says you're a filthy rag. That's sobering, y'all. That should not make us feel good, right? It should not make us feel good to think that, wait, on my best day, I'm like a dirty, rotten scoundrel, right? Like, this is not good news. But that's the bad news that sets up the good news. And, and, and I thought about, you know, I could, I could preach this, and like I could, you know, make you all feel terrible, and I could tell you to come back next week, because we're going to spend the next four Sundays in December talking about the amazing good news of the gospel. But I, could, I can't leave you for a week like, oh, feeling like that. You just got to know what happens when we actually agree with God, when we settle the matter. Let's settle this. When we say to God, wait, you presented your evidence, and I presented my evidence, and holy cow, I think you won. You have a better case, right? And so I'm not as good as I think I am apart from Jesus. I need Jesus. When we settle that, let me just show you what God does. What happens when we accept God's truth about who we are apart from Jesus? Here's the pun, snow much transformation, right? Snow much transformation happens. When we accept what Jesus, what God is saying through Isaiah, well, we need to come now and we need to settle the matter about our sinfulness. When we accept that, God says now. We can get to work. And here's the work that he does. We read it earlier. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. I love snow for a lot of reasons. But the biggest reason is that I have a really ugly yard. It's awful. 
if any of you have a green thumb and want to bless your pastor, make, my, make me have some grass. Because in the summertime, I, I mow dirt. I don't mow grass. I don't have grass. I mow dirt. I sometimes I mow moss. The moss, like, hovers over the ground and shoots out the side of the, the mower. It's terrible. Like, it's a, I'm surrounded by a dust cloud as I mow. And, and we have roots and yucky acorns. And, like, it's nasty, y'all. It's, it's not, am I making any of this up? It's terrible. I'm sure it's the previous owner's fault, but it's awful. But when it snows, our yard looks as good as our neighbor's. It's fantastic, and I love it. I look out from the window, and I'm like, I love our yard, y'all. It's white and beautiful, and I don't. I love it when it snows like it's got to snow like five inches to cover our roots. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love it. And even that is not as good as that promise. Because the promise of God is not, he didn't say this, come now, let's settle this. Though your sins are like Paul's yard, I'll cover it up. Snow just covers up my yard. And when the snow goes away, guess what I still have? An ugly yard. But the promise of God is transformation. Though your sins were like scarlet, they're not going to be that anymore. They're going to be something new. They're going to be white as snow. That's the promise. He changes us. The promise of Isaiah 118 is transformation, not a temporary improvement. And I'm so thankful for that. You know, that's why I said earlier we try to convince everybody, like, this song, Reckless Love, it's a great song. Because until you experience it, you don't, you don't know. But he doesn't just change me temporarily. He changes me. We're different today because of his mercy. The reality is that that promise is like we hear it. Like, okay, you can make my sins as white as snow. And I don't know if you're here and you struggle with your past. But what this means is all the things in your past that are sins that, that you, where you've made mistakes, gone your own way, it can make us feel horrible today. And this promise is that I can make like snow. And sometimes in the promise, doesn't it feel like it's not quite true? Because you're hearing me say it, but you're feeling something different. And our feelings can be like more legit than what I just read to you from Scripture. And so instead of making you wait a week to come back to find out if it's true, I'm going to end the service with a little bit of a unique creative element, okay? I'm going to show you a movie with no words. <laughs> there is music. Um, and I just want you to see something. I want you to see proof that God is never unable to fulfill his promise in your life. No matter what you've been through, what you're going through, what it looks like right now, no matter how much hope you think you've lost, he will keep his promise. It will snow again.